Welcome to the Sword and the Trowel podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for what? For the reformation of local churches and the recovery of the gospel. Oh, man, you've been doing that for a long time. I just said it backwards. You've been so doing okay. that. Sometimes you twist it up. Well, it depends on what's needed most. First shall be last and last shall be first. You kind of flip it a little bit. Hey, we're glad that you're with us. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Um, we want to let you know about the conferences coming up May 14th through the 16th in Louisville, Kentucky. The Gospel and Justice, Founders Ministries National Conference. We've got great speakers that are going to be there. We'd love for you to join us. Hey, we got a giveaway, too. We could in- incentivize you to join us. This is a big deal. The first five people that go onto iTunes and leave the Sword in the Trowel podcast, a good review. Well, no, just don't any leave review. Us, don't can... leave us some salty <laughs> review, bro. If you leave us a salty review, you ain't getting nothing. You no, know what I'm saying? No, look, you be honest. You'd give us an honest review. An honest good one. And yeah, If it's an honest bad one, keep it to <laughs> and, yourself. And, and we are the judges of honesty. That's so right. Just, no. But hey, you're going to get a free ticket. Registration. A free registration. This, this is because of the generosity of a, a couple who really love founders and appreciate what we're doing coming to the conference themselves. And they have purchased some registrations for us to give away. That's right. First five people to do it, ready, go. And, and you will send you a free registration. And that's 90 bucks. 90 bucks. Also the FAM, Founders Alliance member. Uh, we'd love for you to become one. If you're not one, we're very thankful to those of you who are a part of the FAM. Go to founders.org and you find out more information. Yeah, and that also applies to churches. So we would love to have churches join in and support yes. us as well. Founders Alliance churches. If you go to founders.org, so you can find out all about that. That's a fact. That's a fact. We got FAM and we got fact. All right. Hey, in the first session here, we want to talk about restitution and reparations. Why not? This is hot. Everybody else is talking Everybody about it. Everybody else is talking about it. Let's go ahead and... Toss in our two cents, Tom. So is it right for someone to make restitution, to make someone whole when they have harmed them, when they've injured them, when they've stolen from them? The Bible says yes. Absolutely. So Exodus 22, 14, for example, says, If a man borrows anything of his neighbor and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. So if I take your computer, you lend it to me, and I go out there, and you're not around, I spike it on the ground. <laughs> Just <laughs> or if you accidentally drop it. If I accidentally drop th- it. This, there's other places in Exodus 21, 22, 23 that describe accidental. It's unintentional. Yeah, that's right. I need to, I need to restore you to you. Yeah. Okay, so that's, that's good, and that's legit. This is uh, Old Testament law, but our confession talks about the civil law, though it's been fulfilled in Christ and is not still binding by virtue of that institution. The general equity of that law still has moral use. And so we say, hey, this is good. We can see right. fairness in here. We can see justice in this law, and therefore we're going to bring it over and apply it with wisdom. And right in our daily lives. Uh, so restitution is legit. And I think this is important because as, as, as certain evangelicals are responding to the idea of reparations, we need to differentiate between restitution and reparation. Um, the way it's people think about slavery reparations. Now it's basically the, the, the main conversation that's going on, but we shouldn't say things about forgiveness. Like, well, you just need to forgive that that could be then applied to a restitution case. So we do need to talk about what it means to have your sins forgiven because underneath all of this, a lot of this talk about reparations is just people that aren't forgiving. So we need to address that. But if I went and spiked your computer on the ground and then you brought up the idea of restitution, uh, I shouldn't look at you and go, me, you just need to forgive. 
and you just need to forgive. Like you might be a very forgiving man and still say, but there is a principle of restitution here. That doesn't mean I'm guilty of, of not forgiving you. So I think we, we have to guard on both sides. In the conversation about reparations going on right now, there is a lot underneath of all of that of just people aren't forgiving. They're not understanding the blood of Christ. Uh, they're not understanding how love covers a multitude of sins. But as we're trying to correct that, we need to be uh, clear in our corrections so that we're, we uphold still this idea of restitution. And restitution is not anti-forgiveness when it's done correctly, when it's done biblically. Yeah, absolutely. So I can forgive you, and yet still I'm not whole, and you have an obligation, a moral obligation, to make me whole. Okay, so so what's the difference between that, restitution, which is good and right, and what people are saying now about this idea of reparations? Well, the evangelicals are talking about it appeal to some of these passages in the Old Testament as well as to the Zacchaeus passage in Luke 19, and they try to make a, a one-to-one correlation almost, saying, see, here's what Zacchaeus did. Therefore, you ought to do this. Therefore, the government ought to do this. And those are massive leaps exegetically that cannot be sustained from what the Bible actually says. So the scripture is clear that if you do that to me, the responsibility that you have to me, the scripture is not clear and does not address the issue. If your great-grandfather did this to my great-grandfather, then how you are to respond to me. So Whenever you or people today are talking about what happened over the last 400 years in this country and, and, and trying to make a historical argument and then appealing to some of these biblical texts as if they applied directly to it. Is there wisdom there? Absolutely. General principles of equity? Absolutely. Let's apply them. But we are looking now at a context that is going to require tremendous wisdom to figure out how to apply them. And once we get clear on what it is we're talking about, I think wisdom is going to dictate uh, very often, look, we don't have any direct path forward on how to apply this. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and we just have to admit that. And I think some people have difficulty admitting that. And I'm not talking about just forget it and just say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter. You took your people took advantage of my people. So it doesn't matter. I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm just suggesting if we want to live by God's commandments, then we can't twist those commandments to fit what we want. And so I, I see two things going on. I see that one exegetical problem where they're taking text and trying to to suggest that they are direct applications to situations that are not not the same as the biblical Mm -hmm. uh, experience. And then secondly, they're making cases from history that at best are incomplete. And so what is the historical narrative in this country? Have have blacks been repressed? Have blacks been mistreated? There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. But that's not everything. You know, have, have blacks benefited from being in this country? Well, yeah, that's true, too. Have whites been oppressed? Yeah, there have been whites that have been oppressed. Have whites benefited from being in this country? Yes, that's true, too. And that's true. We can say that about any group of people, however we want to divide them, whether we want to do it ethnically, racially, linguistically, age. It doesn't matter. That is true for everybody. And so it, it comes back to something I've talked about before that I, I really think is foundational if we're going to apply biblical wisdom to this very uh, uh, difficult kind of uh, amorphous situation, and that is, this ain't no utopia. And whenever we You can, love talking about that, no it's utopia. True. It's true. It if we get that foundationally there, because I think sometimes we look, we're going to compare America to utopia. America's not heaven, and so in every way that America's not heaven, then America's evil, America's wicked, and we ought to tear down America. Well, let's compare America to Russia. Let's compare America to Cuba. 
and start having the conversation then. And I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to defend America from all of our crimes and wrongs. I'm just saying we need to be realistic. Let's compare America to Cuba. Let's just have that conversation when we start talking about equity. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's so much here, but we want to be biblical. So look at the passages. Just get on Logos or search them in, in your uh, index. Find texts that talk about restitution and look at how restitution is operating. Mm-hmm. And it's operating from the man who did the crime is making a restitution to the one who uh, whom he wronged. Right. And in, in at least one case in the book of Numbers, there's this case where it appears it can flow to next of kin or it can flow to the uh, theocracy. It flows to the, you know, whatever right. the, the temple situation. Whenever you look at Zacchaeus as well, make a clear distinction between that and what some are arguing for today. Yeah, you've got you've to be able to take the Scripture on its terms and then say, okay, if you want to try to take the general equity of that law and apply it today, well, just do that well. Don't yeah. do it in a way that's going to create all kinds of problems uh, down the road. Yeah. So I, go to the text, do a Bible study on it, and uh, there's so much more that could be said about restitution and reparations. We can't get to it all uh, here. But Daryl B. Harrison, you want to give a shout yeah, out? Yeah, Daryl and, and Virgil, uh, if you're not familiar with their podcast, Just Thinking, I encourage you to get familiar with it. Uh, they did over an hour conversation on reparations and going back and looking at uh, some of the slave narratives from early yep. American history and dealing with some of these biblical issues as well. So we commend that to you as well. That's a good place to start. One thing we're very passionate about here is raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, Truth and Grace Memory Books, published by Founders Press. We'll see you then. Founders Ministries has been able to do what we've been doing for 35 years because people have joined with us and become part of our family. Today, I'm inviting you to become a part of the Founders Fam as well. Become a Founders Alliance member. You can do this at different levels as you contribute to the work that Founders is engaged in. By going to founders.org, you can see that you can give at the trowel level, you can give at the shield level, or you can give at the sword level. And if you give at any level, we're going to send you a Founders package of materials materials. We have other exclusive material that we would make available to you as well as you contribute to help us build this ministry for the glory of God. Welcome back to this segment of The Sword and the Trowel. And in this time, we want to talk to you about Truth and Grace Memory Books. These are a set of three volumes designed for parents to use in their homes, or you could even use them in a Sunday school class or in a classroom to help children understand biblical theology and memorize scripture, and learn some good songs as well. So these books are published by Founders Press. Uh, We've used them in our home. We've used them in our church. Jared, you're using them with your kids right now. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Who edited this thing? Who edited this? Some unknown guy. Little Man, he's a handsome dude. (laughs) He is just a classy guy. His picture's not on the cover, fortunately. Oh, man, it should be. Yeah. yeah. So this is something that I edited uh, years ago and got the idea from uh, two or three different places. I think Fred Malone, my brother Bill, some others. And I was, we just had a couple of kids at the time. I had a two-year-old and like a six-month-old, and I knew we wanted to catechize them. Actually, I guess before my second child was born, we started catechizing Sarah, my firstborn, and just saw the wonderful benefits of that, Mm -hmm. just teaching her basic questions and answers to those questions that provided a theological framework in her thinking right. so that when she was just a little kid, man, she was able to rattle off answers. I know she didn't understand all of them, but it provided a foundation and, and, and framework for her thinking as she grew. 
So from that, uh, the first book was developed for uh, younger children and then took the Baptist Catechism for the second book and then did the Heidelberg Catechism, which I was trying to use uh, Hercules Collins' Catechism, uh, the Orthodox Catechism, but it was too big. Too, he, he took those Baptist uh, distinctives and expanded on them so much that it became a little bit cumbersome, so I just did a revision mm-hmm. of the Heidelberg Catechism for Baptists for book three. This has been a very, very helpful resource for me and for my wife as we're seeking to raise our kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I see this John Calvin quote uh, in here. There's different quotes from theologians uh, spread throughout the book, but Calvin said, believe me, the church of God will never be preserved without catechesis. Mm. And um, boy, the, the catechism in the first book is particularly helpful. I think it's a catechism for boys and girls. And it's simple, short, but but robust, you know, it's got a great little, um, question in there for the kids. Can you see God? And they say, no, I cannot see God, but he can always see me. And so just imagine my, my little ones there. And then they're laying them down to bed and they're nervous. And, you know, can you say, Hey, can you see God? You know, (laughs) well, no, I, I cannot see God. But he can always see me. He can see you right now. He's with you right now. You know, yeah. and where is God? God is everywhere. And they, oh, does that mean he's here with you? Is he with your brother in, in his room? Yeah, he's there too. Is he with mom and dad? Uh, we have found the connection between catechism and then practical Christian living to be such, such a tight one. Mm-hmm. Um, why did Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit? And the response is because they did not believe what God had said. So right at, at the outset, our children are seeing that every sin is a sin of unbelief. They, they, you know, it's not just that they disobeyed God. They didn't take God at his word. They didn't trust God, which is a silly thing to do. You should trust mm-hmm. God. You see how good it is when you trust God. You see what happens when you don't trust God. God said they're going to die, you know, and just being able to expound on the truths that are that are in that catechism. Uh, I made the attempt to go to catechism number two with them and even found this is a very helpful catechism, but you, it probably is good to wait till they get a little bit older because this this is actually, this is Keech's catechism right. in here, right? Babs catechism. Um, this one, the catechism two, if you have kids that are probably middle school aged, that's where it's really going to be profitable for them. The third book when they're in high school, but the second book, we actually have uh, a CD with jingles, which is yeah. very helpful. That's why I was um, encouraged to to get into it because I can put it in the car while we're riding down the street and have them singing the jingles. They're just, the catechisms are longer. So they're a little bit more challenging for the, for the small children. Yeah. One of the joys of this is, you know, we catechized our kids and now we have the privilege of seeing our kids catechize our grandkids. Hmm. And I just love sitting around with them and just asking them these questions periodically or asking them a question that is related to one of the catechetical questions and seeing if they can make the connection or helping them make the connection. We see this with children in our church as well. You know, mm. Almost every Sunday I'll have a time where I have some kids in my study. They want lollipops. And before I give them lollipops, I'll ask them a few of the catechetical questions. And it's just great to yeah. see this happening. A benefit that has come, I think I mentioned this before, that I did not anticipate early on but saw pretty quickly is how much I and my wife were served by going through the catechism with our kids. And we've seen this with parents, young parents throughout our church over multiple years now, get good biblical theology yep. by teaching it to their kids. Yep. It gives you an opportunity to, um, you know, play devil's advocate with them. And mm-hmm. uh, the, this whole 
segment can be taken as an exhortation to parents to get active in discipling your kids. Because, you know, somebody say, oh, well, we, you're just going to indoctrinate the little ones. Yeah, yeah that's amen. right. Yeah. Exactly. It's, We're going to indoctrinate them because the world's trying to, right? Absolutely. Do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And especially with what's going on in the world today, there's an act an upheaval in the West of, of uh, ways people think there's uh, different uh, philosophies that are being advanced, worldly philosophies. Don't be taken captive by them. It's time for us to be diligent. It takes work. You know, first the idea of catechizing your kids is, is, you know, cool. It's like you, this is what, I, this is great. You know, let's take an Instagram picture of, <laughs> of catechizing everybody and, and amen to all that, but it does become a work. Yeah. And so especially fathers, uh, you have to say, we're going to do this. Not, it's not, we're not going to make it burdensome for the family. Don't do that. Keep it short. Um, make it make it something they're looking forward to doing. But you are the one that has to initiate this and and get liturgical with it. Get in a rhythm with it. So we do it at a certain time, um, full of joy, and yet driving these truths down in, in the minds. Yeah. People that are familiar with these catechisms, if they're listening closely at all, will hear answers to the catechisms coming out in my preaching because mm-hmm. it's just easy, simple, one-off statements that can be made to summarize a great deal of theological truth. So I recommend them. They've been used uh, quite a bit around the world, and uh, we're grateful for that. So they're available at founders.org. Founders.org. Type that in, go to the store, and grab yourself a few copies of the Truth and Grace Memory Book. When we come back, we're going to be talking about God's commands. One of the most important issues going on in the world right now are issues over justice and social justice. So Founders Ministries is going to be holding a national conference in Louisville, Kentucky, downtown at the Seelbach Hotel, May 14th through May 16th, in which we're going to address these issues and seek to bring biblical clarity to all of the confusion that's going on right now. We are only 15 minutes away from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And you can tell by my tie that it is a biblical spirituality tie, which means I am a PhD graduate of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Believe it or not, I'm not the only speaker that's going to be there that is a doctoral graduate of Southern Seminary. If four, four of the men who will be speaking at this conference are doctoral graduates, of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, one of which is uh, Dr. Josh Bice, the leader of the G3 conference in Atlanta, Georgia. We're also gonna have other speakers like Pastor Tom Askell, who's the president of Founders Ministries and who has been heavily involved in the work of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary throughout the years and the professors that are there. Dr. Tom Nettles, who is the former professor of historical theology there at Southern Seminary is going to be speaking as well. So we want to have a big family reunion. If you're at Southern Seminary as a student or a professor, come join us, drive 15 minutes downtown to the Seelbach Hotel and we'll see you May 14th through the 16th. I almost forgot. Since I'm an alum of Southern Seminary and so many of our speakers are alumni of Southern Seminary, we're actually going to offer a discount to all Southern Seminary students. So when you go to founders.org and you register for the conference, make sure to check out that discount. And since we're good Christians, we're actually going to do that for anybody who's a student at any of our seminaries. 
Hey, welcome back to The Sword and the Trowel. In the third segment of our podcast, we like to talk about the law of God, the commands that are given to us in Scripture. Um, I, I heard it said recently that when you, when you are, uh, we often think that if we're looking at a promise in Scripture, well, that's, that's kind of a good thing. And then if we're looking at a command in Scripture, that's kind of a bad thing. Where'd you hear well, that? Well, how silly is that? Where'd you hear that? Uh, it's just, you know, it's the common, it's the common voice Don't listen that to exists those voices, out man. there. No, that's so silly. You know, for a Christian, the promises of God, God are good and the commands of God are good. We just say yes and amen. This is all, this is all gravy. Mm. It's like mashed potatoes and gravy. Yeah, one of the problems Christians have, I think, I, I, I've been there, is thinking the commandments of God are right. We know that. They're right. But they are also good. They're good for us. They come from a good God for our welfare. So we're working our way through uh, different commands we see in Scripture today. Uh, we're going to consider the command, abide in me. Jesus tells us this in John chapter 15 and verse 4. And I'm going to read it to us. This is what it says as soon as I get it pulled up on my computer. It says, Abide in me. This is the words of Christ. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What's it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it, it tells us in the rest of that passage that it's having his words abide in mm-hmm. us. So we abide in Christ when we take him at his word, when we remember him, when we regularly sense and don't fight against our dependence upon him. Some people look at this in John 15 particularly, and they say, well, Jesus is talking about folks who can be Christians, and then they're no longer Christians, and they get cast mm-hmm. away from the vine. Uh, not at all. We, we are saved by grace. It's an incredible privilege to be a Christian, but with that grace comes responsibility. And so the, the privilege of being saved carries with it the responsibility of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So there's no contradiction mm-hmm. in the commands given to Scripture or given to uh, Christians in Scripture work out our salvation with the teaching that, no, this is all of grace. Grace works. Grace calls us to live certain kinds of lives. And it is just as true that nobody is saved apart from grace as it is that you will be saved. You will bear fruit as you continue to abide in Christ. Yeah. You become a Christian uh, by grace. You continue as a Christian by grace. Mm -hmm. You abide in Christ by grace, Absolutely. he who began a good work in you will see it on to completion. Uh, but you must abide. Absolutely. And you must endure until the end. I mean, Scripture gives us these conditional statements that are indeed conditions. They're conditions that are met by the grace of God. And yet we hold up that and say, okay, uh, when you hear abide in me, it has it means remain. It means yeah. you have come into me and you, you need to stay in me. You trusted in me. You need to continue trusting in me. You need to continue trusting in my word. And you need to continue obeying my word. He goes on in the verses after verse four to talk about keeping, if you keep my commandments, well, then you'll abide in me. So mm-hmm. this is a part of saying, yes, I'm, I'm going to look at what the Lord Jesus Christ says, and I'm going to be diligent to continue to trust him and continue to obey him. So uh, I often tell my kids, you know, it's not he who starts the race uh, who who wins, but it's he who finishes the race. We, we must finish the race. You must persevere. So go on trusting the Lord. Go on obeying him. In, the, in, in this passage, there are four specific things Jesus said that will result from abiding in him. We will have joy, verse 11. Uh, These things I've spoken to you, that your joy may, uh, my joy may be in you, your joy may be full. There's answered prayer, verse 7, says, you abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Thirdly, there's fruitfulness, whoever abides in me, 
I in him will bear much fruit. Hmm. And fourthly, in verse 2, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, so it'll bear more fruit. Sometimes people think, and I've heard this said just recently, that, well, not bearing fruit, therefore you got to prune. No, if you are bearing fruit, you'll get pruned. So Hmm. whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Hmm. And that's always for our good, and it's always for greater fruitfulness. It's not to destroy us. It's not to uh, punish us. Our sins have been once for all punished in Christ, but the Lord does prune us for greater fruitfulness. And all of that comes as we abide in Christ daily, sense our need of him, our dependence upon him. Don't fight against that. Have your faith strengthened, renewed, because Christ is the source of our life. Yeah. So so not only the uh, action of abiding, but then thinking about the one in whom we are to abide. We're to abide in Christ. What could be better? We're not abiding in an idea. We're abiding in a person, Jesus Christ, second member of the Trinity, the one born of the Virgin Mary, the one that suffered under the Pontius Pilate, the one who's crucified, who's risen again for us, who intercedes for us now. We're really remaining in him. And and by the grace that is in him, he indeed will be the one to keep us remaining in him. So, hey, thanks so much for being with us today. We want to remind you of the conference coming up May 14th through the 16th and uh, the giveaways. Five... Free registrations to the first five people who go on to iTunes and leave the Sword in the Trowel a very good, positive podcast review. Go. Go now. Just setting the timer. Ready, set, go.